0: We've come a long way from bartering with cowrie shells, but the reasons we use money have not changed. It's all about exchanging something of value for something else we perceive to be of value. However, we didn't just hop from cowrie shells to Bitcoin, and today we welcome financial analyst Mark Moss to the show to discuss the history of money. How did we get here? Listen, we're not experts, but we know how to interview people who are, and let's face it, that's why you listen to us. It's certainly not for the bad dad jokes.
1: Really? I, I thought people like our jokes.
0: It no, it's that's not why they listen.
1: Oh. Are you sure?
0: Mm-hmm. Pretty sure. Okay. Listen, whatever the reason, we're glad you're here for episode number one hundred and ninety six of the Bad Crypto Podcast. I have- Buenos dias, buenas tardes, and buenas noches, whatever time of day you are listening. Buenos. we're glad that you're here. It's the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto-curious and crypto-serious. I am Joel Com, and he, over there, that guy, the one wearing the KC hat, that would be Mr. Travis Wright.
1: Did you just call me Tardis? I'm not Tardis.
0: I mean, re- so let me ask you this If you say good afternoon to somebody And then you repeat it Does that make you retardous?
1: Happy good afternoon again It's if you say it again so
0: <laughs> And there you go The bad dad jokes As promised On point uh-huh. And hopefully You snickered And maybe just blew Milk or coffee out your nose you Probably did
1: You probably rolled your eyes And you're ready to go write a review About how you used to love the
0: show <laughs> We've got a really interesting one today. This uh, gentleman, Mark Moss, is a financial analyst. We are not that. We are not financial or analysts, but he is both. He does a YouTube channel called Market Disruptors, and he's got a series called I Love Crypto. And we kind of go through and talk a little bit about, you know, where did uh, money come from and, uh, you know, what was the gold standard and what, you know, how are millennials adopting, you know, this idea of cryptocurrency now and investing. Uh, This is this is fun stuff. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this discussion.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing when you because people ask us all the time when we get interviewed in different places like, so what do you say to people who think that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is a fad? And I'm like, really, this is the evolution of money. If you think about the cowrie shells that we used to have and feathers, and that's what people used to use about 5,000 years ago. And, you know, as you mentioned at the top of the show, you, you need to exchange this perceived thing of value for something else perceived of equal value. And, uh, you know, over time, money has evolved. Then, you know, the the powerful kings and royalty and queens of, of ancient times, they finally started stamping gold and silver coins, and those became of value, and you had to use these specific gold or silver coins minted by that particular kingdom to pay for your taxes. If not, then they would get really mad at you. Then, you know, they started having storing because carrying around your gold is kind of an unwielding thing so then they would go to a goldsmith right and and store their gold and they would get a little piece of paper that says hey i have this much gold or this much silver and uh, that became sort of paper money over time that evolved into paper money and then paper money now we have plastic money right with our credit cards and our debit cards and digital money is the next evolution of this whole financial thing so there you go that's the history of money you guys and
0: hope you enjoy the show <laughs> well um, when people ask me if i think bitcoin is a fad i first i chortle at them and then i'm like "You
2: is talking loco and i like it <laughs> <laughs> nice. all right
0: let's get to our, our interview here with uh, mr mark moss Everybody and their grandma and their dog seems to have an opinion when it comes to crypto. Some say that Bitcoin's going to hit a million dollars before the end of 2020, or they're going to be eating unappetizing things. And others say that all altcoins are crap. And some say Bitcoin is one thing and Bitcoin is another. And, you know, who's really right? I don't know. I have my own opinion as well. And I'm sure in some ways, Mr. Travis Wright's opinions differ from mine. But we love talking to people who have insights into the market. And today we're pleased to welcome crypto analyst and investor, Mark Moss. He does fundamental analysis and he does market insights for a YouTube channel called I Love Crypto, as well as a newer YouTube channel called Market Disruptors. They talk all about all the topics surrounding Wall Street and Bitcoin and crypto and all that good stuff. So Mark Moss, welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. I'm a big fan and I'm, I'm happy to hear to be here and share some information today.
0: Excellent. Well, why don't we start by talking a little just, bit about... Well, I'm to you- start by
2: commenting
1: on his amazing dulcet tones, almost as good as Joel's uh, dulcet tones.
0: <laughs> there, you <laughs> there you go. There you go. He's got Your a voice for folks. What's that? He's a market disruptor, but you're a podcast disruptor.
1: <laughs> That's true. I like to interrupt Joel when he's getting ready to ask a great question. That way he forgets the great question and then just asks an okay question.
0: And you get all the great questions, so... <laughs> I did not forget where I was going with this because I want to find out how Mark went down the crypto rabbit hole and maybe a little bit about your background prior to that. So tell us, tell us all.
2: I got sucked into the rabbit hole through a long, a long road, but basically it started back in 2001 After the dot com crash, after the market crashed 90% from 2000, 2001, I had this bright idea to start an e commerce business. And it wasn't easy to build a shopping cart and whatever at that time. Spent a lot of time, a lot of money to build that out. I got the shopping cart built, and then I went to these brands and I said, Hey, I want to sell your products on my website. And at the time I was the only .dot com advertising in magazines. At the time it was all mail order back then. And I went to these brands and I said, Hey, I built up this uh, website and I'm doing advertising. I want to sell your products on my website. And they laughed at me. They said, no one will ever buy anything online. And I said, well, I, I differ. You know, I I don't believe that I I spent this money. I have the site. They wouldn't even take my money. So I got involved in the internet kind of in the early days. And I, and I was there firsthand to see all these people say it would never work. And it did. Um, about 2005, I started getting pretty heavy into investing, uh, mostly real estate, Uh, But also, uh, I've chased gold mines, oil fields, what I call non-traditional investing. I'm kind of an action sports guy. I'm a surfer. I'm a motocross guy. And so, you know, putting money into a mutual fund or 401k just never seemed to kind of satisfy what I wanted to do. So, I've just kind of searched the world for what I call non-traditional investments. And so, you know, being involved in the internet space for so long, uh, being an investor in that early, being an investor into all these different types of assets um, led me to... uh, Bitcoin in about 2016, early 2016. And at the time it was really, I'm kind of also into uh, the, the geopolitical side. Um, So, you know, I'm really into sovereignty and and international banking and and things like that. And when I first heard about Bitcoin, it was kind of like, oh, it's a way to get money out of the system. It's like having an offshore bank account, um, and so uh, I like that. I'll jump in on that. Um, and then I realized it was so much more. And really, uh, that's that's kind of what started it.
1: That's a cool background. Well, first we said, well, I
2: first got into crypto in 2001.
1: I was like, man, this guy was really an early adopter. I think we got Satoshi on the phone here, buddy. It might be
2: Satoshi. <laughs> Um, no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't crypto in 2001. But I think, you know, being an investor and being a student of money and politics and all those things, but really living that, uh, that internet boom, you know, that first one. And obviously everybody compares the crypto, uh, boom to that because there's a lot of similarities. All technical, technological revolutions follow the same path, but it really allowed me to live it. And it, and it really kind of helps me have perspective that that a lot of people are missing these days. No, I mean,
1: I, I like how you were talking about, you know, some of the geopolitical stuff. Joel and I, we talk a little bit about that and our audience gets a little upset at sometimes because well, they don't always well, agree with a of couple of say. them, a couple of them get upset. a couple of them. Yeah. yeah, a couple of them. And uh, and that's OK, because we don't all have to get along and agree on everything because that would be boring. Start so, your own what, podcast, what are you,
0: you know, come on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So so tell us a little bit about what do you think about, you know, international banking and how how blockchain and crypto is sort of helping and decoupling that from sort of these larger, you know, globalist organizations.
2: Yeah. So what I think on a, on a, on a really big level is that, and, Bitcoin is so disruptive. It's not just a better payment system. It's not just PayPal 2.0. It's 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 super disruptive and really to understand how disruptive it's going to be, you really have to understand the history of money, the history of banking, the you know the politics that go along with that as well as the technology and all those other things. Um, so as far as you know to answer the question, you know how is it going to be disruptive? First I would say that we have to be patient. It's going to take time to disrupt a uh, legacy system that's been there for so long. But really, if you if you take time to understand how the banking system works, how they manipulate money, um, how they create money out of thin air, and and money becomes power. Um, and so they've been able to manipulate the money supply. Um, we've seen this happen in Rome 2000 years ago, where they, they devalued their currency by 90% over 200 years. Well, in the United States, we've done the same in 40 years. And so people think that everything's getting more expensive today. Homes are way more expensive than they were 50 years ago. But really, you could say, well, things aren't getting more expensive. It's actually the money's becoming worth less and less. It's taking more dollars to buy them. So if you kind of you got to look behind the curtain, so to speak, right, and see the game that the banks are playing, and then you can understand why Bitcoin was created, why we need sound hard money. And then, then once you understand that, I think you can understand very easily how quickly the banking system can be disrupted.
0: I think it might be interesting to extrapolate uh, unpack that a little bit more about the the money system maybe kind of hitting on some of the the bullet points of you know who's in charge and how do they
2: manipulate it and why yeah sure Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, sure. Exactly. Why? Right. Why is that being done? So this has happened all throughout civilizations, thousands of years. We can trace that back. But really starting more uh, current, um, like I I did, I did reference Rome, but but starting more current um, in World War One, we had basically the whole world. The whole world had been changing monetary systems, what they considered um, a medium of exchange and MOE, but also what we store our value in. Where do we keep our money to make sure it doesn't um, lose value? And eventually the whole world settled on a gold standard. And that that it all kind of came around in World War I, and the whole world got on this gold standard. Uh, the British sterling kind of lost power. The U.S. dollar was established to be the world reserve currency, and it would be backed by gold. And the reason why it's important to have something backed by gold is because you can only get so much gold out of the ground per year. You can't manipulate that market. I can only get so much money or so much gold out of the ground and... There's a true cost of capital, meaning I can't just create gold for nothing. It costs me money to create gold. And so when money is backed by that on a one-to-one basis, we have a sound money supply that can't be inflated. Think of inflating like a balloon. So as I put more air into it, I'm inflating the balloon. Well, the money supply is the same way. As I print more money, it inflates it. And the more money there is, the less they're all worth. And so by having that gold standard, it kept us from inflating it away. But we got off the gold standard in 1971. And since then, our money supply has completely blown up trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. As a matter of fact, probably about $200 trillion have been created since
0: 1970. Mark, why did we get off the gold standard in 71?
2: Yeah, so what happened is we needed more money that's the that, that's the end of it right to have to have the social programs that we have to have the welfare state to have the warfare state right the the industrial military complex they call it we need money and that's exactly what happened in rome rome was trying to build an empire and they needed more money so they took they made their coins that have 100% silver they were 90% silver so they had 10% more money And they could fight more wars and then more wars and more wars. So we need more money to create more social programs, to create more uh, warfare, right? We're in, we're, there's wars all over the world. But what happens is you're undermining the currency, which then creates inflation, prices run away, and it creates this distortion where you see the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer because it, it gives all that fake free, easy money to the top, and the bottom doesn't get it. So that's kind of the monetary system that we have today.
1: Yeah, actually, I want to add a little bit to that because it's it's a really interesting story, and a lot of people probably don't know this, but whenever the dollar was backed by gold, you, know, you could literally take your dollars to the gold and get to the bank and get that much money back in gold. And mm. what happened on August 15th, 1971, was Fra- uh, Charles de Gaulle, who was, I believe, the president of France at the time, he sent a warship to the New York Harbor and with instructions to bring back its gold from the New York Federal Reserve Bank, because it had all these dollars. And then once once they took all their gold, they were like, "Uh oh, we don't have enough gold now. And so shortly thereafter, the Bretton Woods system uh, was, I believe, eliminated and uh, yeah, was decoupled away from gold, I believe, within two weeks after the French came and got all their gold in the in the harbor.
2: And what's, it, what's interesting, and, and that had been happening for a while, and the U.S. was trying to defend its position that dollars actually were backed by gold, and they were just giving up so much that they were losing so much gold, like you're saying, and that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. But even today, uh, the U.S. has been storing gold for all these countries, and er- countries, I mean, just this year alone, multiple countries have come and demanded, we want our gold, we don't trust you to hold it for us anymore. We don't think your gold storage is what you say it is. And we want to um, bring it back to our own country. And so we're still seeing that play out.
1: It's weird. A lot of people still think to this day that the dollar is backed by gold. I was having a conversation with a really intelligent dude the other day uh, with lunch. Actually, I've known the guy. He, uh, I've known him from my hometown. Then he moved away. And then I uh, hadn't seen him in 36 years, reconnected with him on Facebook. He moved away in third grade. So it's kind of wild. But I uh, had lunch with him a couple days ago, and he's like, what? The dollar's not backed by gold? No, you're wrong. And he went on Google and is like, oh, wait, whoa, wow. I didn't know that. And I I wonder what percentage of American citizens don't actually realize that dollar's not backed by anything. Well, and not just that, Travis, but, but I'm so.
0: holding a $1 bill featuring our first president, Mr. George Washington, on it in my hands right now. And it says at the top, Federal Reserve Note. The United States of America, this known as legal tender for all debts, public and private. And most people think that the Federal Reserve Bank is a government institution. But what's the truth about that, Mark? How did how did we come into this Federal Reserve? Who are they?
2: Yeah. So um, there's a long history of that. There's a book, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Um, highly recommend it. Yeah, highly recommend everybody should read that. And one thing that I'm really excited about with this whole Bitcoin and crypto movement is we have all these young people jumping in and they're excited about making money or tech. But really, it's opening their eyes to like fiat. No one ever used the word fiat before, right? Now people are having an interest in that. But getting back to that question, the, the Federal Reserve is a bank that was created to supposedly try and um, keep the price of money, the interest rates level. And so they believed something called Keynesian economics. So there's two schools of thoughts: Keynesian and there's Austrian economics. And they're polar opposites. Austrians believe you keep the money supply um, static and that'll create prosperity. But the Keynesians believe that, oh, we can inflate it when we need it, and then we can manipulate the money supply. So the Fed was created to do just that. They print money when they think they need to. They supposedly are supposed to contract it when they think they need to. Um, And they're basically trying to control a free market, which doesn't work. A free market has a mind of its own. But um, I did want to say one thing you had uh, uh, just a funny or uh, maybe an interesting point. Um, You talked about getting off the gold standard and people didn't realize that before 1965, all um, quarters and dimes were made out of silver. So if you could find a pre 65 dime, it's actually all silver. And in 1965, a quarter would pay for a gallon of gas. Obviously today I'm in California. Gas is almost four bucks a gallon, but a quarter would pay for a gallon of gas pre 1965. Well, a pre 1965 quarter today will still pay for a gallon of gas because silver and gas have retained a ratio. It's the dollars that have fallen off. So anyway, Mm -hmm. interesting way to look at that.
1: So true. Yeah. There's a great website called Coinflation looks like co-inflation but coinflation.com there's a great coin calculator on there and you can actually see the silver coin melt value of anything so right now the silver price is14 dollars and44 cents and so one quarter is worth about two dollars and61 cents approximately right now so it kind of it depends on where you are to get that get your to get your uh, your milk. Um, but all, however, I do not recommend regular dairy milk. I would say almond milk is way better. Don't have that soy milk either. You <laughs> Get soy face. Soy
0: I wonder yeah, I since you we man, we're talking about gold and silver, <laughs> there's a, before we move on to crypto. uh You know, you say silver is fourteen something an ounce. I remember buying a little at sixteen. I'm like, gee whiz, what's it going to take for silver and gold to go up again in value with this limited supply? What is the manipulation in the market with silver and gold?
2: Yeah. So I, I recently did a video series where I talked about Wall Street coming into crypto and is it good and is it bad? And I used the um, what they've done with gold as kind of an, uh, an example. And basically what they've done with gold is through futures and through ETFs, they've created paper claims to gold. So um, as I said earlier, when I talked about mining gold out of the ground, you can't really create more. You have to go get it out of the ground. But Wall Street sells paper claims to gold. So instead of people buying physical gold which would then bring the price up just you know supply and demand more people buying not enough gold now people buy paper versions and we don't really know exactly but they're estimating there's between 3 to 500 owners for every one physical ounce of gold out there today
1: yeah same thing with silver i, I think i've heard the numbers that i saw last was for gold it was like 525 525- ounces of paper gold to every 1 real ounce of gold which is unbelievable it's it's highway robbery right and uh, i don't know how they're able to get, a lo- get away with this for as long as they've been able to get away with this and you know it seems to me that you know especially when so- the price of silver gets really high it's bad for you know some electronics because they need to use some silver in that but it would say that the the supply is so short that the price should be way higher than $14 i mean the, the historically, the price of silver has always been 116th the price of gold, and gold is right now what 1400 bucks or 1300 bucks, so it should almost be like 90 80 90 bucks per ounce. But people suppress the price of this. Those I don't even know who's responsible, I think it's ComEx or somebody is responsible for they're, they're keeping the price down, and that's why it's one of those things, just like with crypto for me, is that you don't want the paper gold, you don't want papers, you want to hold the physical gold or silver in a vault somewhere and just like with crypto you don't want somebody else to hold your private keys you want to hold your private keys right
2: yeah, hundred percent. You're exactly right on that. So it's it definitely suppressed the price because all those people that bought paper gold, if they were to buy physical gold, it would push the price up like a rocket ship, right? So just from that alone, you can see the price suppression, but with crypto, it gets way more interesting because gold is something physical, something static, but, but crypto is dynamic And so what really happens is, let's say that now this ETF is holding the Bitcoin for me. And what what Wall Street does is they they do something called rehypothecation. So basically, they owe me the Bitcoin, right? If I own shares, they owe me the Bitcoin. It's an IOU. And what they'll do is they'll use that IOU as collateral. So now that will become a um, go on someone else's balance sheet. And so then they'll pile another IOU on top of that, another IOU on top of that. And so now we have like five or six claims to the one Bitcoin that's owed to me. Mm. It's fractional reserve banking in a way, right? It's it's, it's fractional reserve banking, right? So that's what happens. Fractional reserve Bitcoin. So it's like if I if I had a if I if if I had a candy bar and you said hey I'll, I'll uh let me borrow that candy bar I'll owe you a candy bar okay fine but then you loan it to somebody else and you say hey someone else says I'll loan I'll I'll owe you a candy bar and then someone else borrows it and says I'll owe you a candy bar now f- there's five or six candy bars owed. But there's only one candy bar. And if someone eats it, now all five people are out. But on a static item like gold or a candy bar, it's easy. But on something dynamic like Bitcoin or crypto, it gets very complicated. Because what happens Mm. when there's a fork? All of a sudden, Bitcoin cash is created, but there was only one Bitcoin cash for the one Bitcoin. What about the other five people that think they own Bitcoin? They're not going to get it. They don't get rehypothecated. They don't get rehypothecated. And what gets even worse is let's say that we didn't we didn't see this example, but we but we have before where let's say that all the value leaves the main chain and goes to the new forked coin. Now, everybody's holding a worthless chain because all the value moved to a new coin that they don't have now and they go bankrupt. And what gets even more, more worse or, or more dangerous is Wall Street does one other thing and they do something called commingling. And so they'll take that Bitcoin they're holding on behalf of you and they're going to put it into one giant account with all their other assets. My cash, my stocks, my commodities, everything goes into one account. So now it creates this contagion where if the value were to fork to a new coin, they're left holding something worthless. They're out billions or trillions of dollars and now it puts the entire financial system at risk because of the way they commingle it.
0: Hmm. Rehypothecation and commingling. I think that might be the title of uh, of this particular episode. All right, I, I do have one more question about the silver and gold before we delve fully into crypto here, Mark. And that is, what would it take for this to change? I mean, the prices have been stagnant for years now. And uh, what, what has what will disrupt it so that the value will either go way up or way down? In the gold and silver
2: market, yes. So um, the gold and silver market's way more manipulated than what we see in crypto because um, in in stocks or in crypto, the value, the price is found every single day live on an exchange, right? So on the NYSE, st- the the price of a stock is negotiated every day by buyers and sellers. But with gold, it's not like that. In with gold, it's set every day in London, so they set the price as opposed to the market finding a true price. So the price is set, in addition, we have massive, massive selling um, by massive sellers. These are public documents. So you can see the amount of uh, gold that's being put into the market. And, and you can see that someone is actively defending that price or trying to keep that price low. But the catalyst, so you're asking what would change that? And I, and I think the catalyst for change is coming sooner than we think. We know that over the last decade, China has been the largest accumulator of gold in the world. They're stockpiling more gold than any other country. We see, we're seeing other countries add to their gold supplies. As I said earlier, we actually have countries coming to take their gold back from the United States. They don't trust the U.S. with it anymore. So governments are seeing the value. Governments get what's going on, right? The average public, you and I, we don't understand it, but the governments do, and they're they're collecting it, they're hoarding it, they're they're repatriating it back in. So the catalyst you're asking what's going to make a change will be um, the manipulation. The U.S. and London they lose their grasp of control. Now um, more gold is owned by these countries like China and Russia, and they set up their own gold markets that allow it to find a true value.
0: And what is the true value? What do you think it is?
2: Um, You know, so I was taught when I was a kid by my dad that something's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it so we'd we'd have to go on price discovery, and the only way to do that is to have a free open market that's not manipulated and then we'll find what that price is um so so for me to guess i I, I wouldn't even really know, but we do know that, like you were saying five hundred ounces of paper to one, so imagine if even half of that came back into gold and it went up two hundred times
1: right you're sitting at two hundred thousand dollars an ounce of gold like. That wedding ring is going to cost a little bit for the in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to choose a different metal. <clears throat> I got you. a I got you a copper <laughs> ring, honey, with with the with the granite stone that I got. It's actually it's a pebble. It's, it's a cubic really zirconia. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, no,
2: maybe, now 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 the new wedding rings are like those silicone bands, right? I'm start wearing those.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that's great. So so maybe tell us a little bit about about you know so you did a you have a four part series on your new YouTube channel Market Disruptors. Talking about, you know, crypto and Bitcoin and how they plan to financialize Bitcoin. So maybe what does that mean? How is Wall Street going to financialize the crypto space?
2: Yeah, so what they want to do is we have two types of assets, really, uh, financial assets. We have equity-based assets and we have debt-based assets. So an equity-based asset is something that I own and I, and I own it outright and have equity. So that would be like Bitcoin that I hold in my own wallet, for example. That'd be my personal property. It could be like a piece of land that I own outright. But a debt-based asset is something that's created by debt. So if you loan me money, I owe you money. On your balance sheet, you can put an asset that I owe you money, but it's debt. It's not an equity asset. It's a debt asset that you own. And once you have that debt asset, you could get credit because you say, Hey, look, I have all these assets. These guys owe me $5 million and someone would would loan you money because that's on your balance sheet. And so, and then someone loans them money and loans them money. So now these debt-based assets start to multiply. So all this um, money here or whatever is created in the system, but all based off of debt, not based off of assets. So what they want to do, financialize it, is they want to turn Bitcoin into a debt-based asset. Right now it's an equity-based asset. If they can take control of it, they hold it for you in an ETF, for example, they owe it to you now, so that's debt. And now they can pile up more debt against it. That's the financialization piece where we talked about the rehypothecation piece. So, hypothecation is them giving me, you know, putting debt against it. Rehypothecation is the process of it happening over and over and over.
0: So many big words. You, you might overwhelm Travis Wright because I don't know if he stacked the big word skill yet.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I think it is a big word, me- but the I th- medium words. I think just like fiat was a new word for everybody. And now most people understand what fiat currency is today. And hopefully these words will become commonplace uh, very soon. And, and everybody will get wise to the games that Wall Street's playing.
0: Lobby will be talking. Rehypothecation. So let's talk crypto, then specifically Bitcoin. And where you see, you know, at the markets right now is uh, as we're doing this interview, you know, it's been around 63 to 6,700 kind of bouncing back and forth in there. What's it going to take? You know, what do we changes? Do we need to see? for crypto to make this move? And uh, where do you think it's gonna go with short-term and uh, by short-term, I mean, end of the year and then looking out a year or two from now?
2: Yeah, that's the big question, right? It is, and <laughs> so, I need answers, uh, what, bring it. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna give you answers. Uh, so what I would say, first of all, is that um, you know I've studied every technological revolution for the last 200 years and they all follow the same path, just like the internet did. And that's at the technology, or I'm sorry, the money gets out ahead of the technology. And then it takes time for the tech to catch up. So, you know, with the dot com boom, we saw the famous pets.com and it raised all this money, but there was nobody online buying anything yet. So the money ran out ahead of the tech. And so I think that's kind of where we're at today. Um, we saw obviously that, that massive parabolic bubble last, at the end of last year, but the tech isn't there. The market's being driven by speculators, by. by it's an, not you know, a bubble,
1: Mark. It's not a bubble. <laughs>
2: Well, everything's a bubble. Are we at the bottom or the top of the bubble is the question, but everything's a bubble. But so what I'd say about that is that um, I think price is only one of the many things that we should be looking at. Like I'm really focused on technical innovation and adoption. So I'm really bullish on what I'm seeing with innovation and adoption. Every day we're seeing new adoption come out. Today, it was announced that Google is going to open back up um, advertising for crypto exchanges again. And now if exchanges can start advertising again, new money comes in and that increases adoption. Right. So I'm looking for innovation and adoption. The price will come. I want to see that we're continuing down the path to adoption and and the price will take care of itself. So, <laughs> that being said, I'm bullish on on where the space is going and, and where Bitcoin is going. The price, you know, obviously I wish it was higher like everybody else. Um, the other thing that we have is we have massive manipulation going on in the market with price, BitMEX specifically. Um, tons of manipulation going on in BitMEX. I mean, it's like over 50% of the volume is all gambling, basically. Um, and then we have Chinese groups that are, that are manipulating the price as well. Um, So anyway, I think with some of the SEC clarity, um, some of these things will get greater clarity on that. Hopefully some of that manipulation goes out. I think adoption innovation will continue and then the price will start going back up again. Where will you be by the end of the year? That was your big question. And where will we be in, in two years from now? Um, I think... Uh, I, I I I'm optimistic that we'll still get a late run bull rally. Um, I think getting up into ten to fifteen thousand dollar range by the end of the year is definitely probable. What tri- um, what triggers and that? Mark. Two years. Oh, yeah. What
0: triggers that?
2: Well, I I believe this ice back deal will definitely trigger that. So ice backed, if you're not familiar with that, the NY, um, ice is a company that owns the NYSE, the New York stock exchange, and they launched something called backed, which is supposed to launch in November of this year. And it's, uh, basically like it's the one uh, Starbucks was going to be utilizing yeah, yeah exactly so yeah. There's, there's there's two pieces to that and I have another video on that that I explain it in more detail so go go check that out if you want but basically what Back wants to do is be a custody solution and so they want to allow um, institutions to buy um, Bitcoin and they'll custody it for them they'll insure it for them and so I believe by doing that uh, by that launching hopefully in November there will be a massive buyer coming into the market that will be sucking out the Bitcoin out of circulation. And again, right, basic supply and demand. So we have massive demand moving up. Supply is fixed. And that'll put positive uh, pressure on the price to move back up. So that would be the big catalyst I'm looking for this year. The other catalyst everybody was looking for was that CBOE Vanek ETF. Um, but that just got announced to be delayed until February. Um, so that's not going to happen until next year, but I think this ice backed will be the big catalyst to really push the price up. By Once the the again, year.
0: it's ice, ice baby. Yeah, <laughs> there you go.
1: So, so right now, in the last twenty four hours, according to Coin Market Cap, we've had fourteen point nine billion dollars traded in crypto. Okay, we've talked about this on our show a few times because there's some. It's an interesting statistics to see how much volume was happening you know, back in 2014, which was around $15 million a day. And then, you know, it grew over time. Then it went like 3x and then it did a 10x and then it's in another 5x. And here we are now at $15 billion a day. How much of that would you say is bogus manipulation that their people are gambling the cryptos and trying to manipulate the price?
2: Well, we can see that um, 26% of that was done on BitMEX. So Bitmex is all derivatives, so we know right off the bat that is.
1: They probably what a half of that on Bitmex is probably all of it scam. All
2: well, of- I, not 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 scam, but but it's it's gambling, right? It's derivatives trading. So they're putting one bitcoin up and putting a hundred times leverage on it. So what I mean is, it's not like a real, it's not a believer or a user. It's not someone who believes in it and wants to hold it. It's not someone who's buying it to actually use it. It's someone who's only gambling on the price. They're a speculator. Um, so I would say half half falls into that category.
1: Crazy. Still huge adoption, but it's uh, you know more people in there trying to uh, manipulate things and 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 you know sway things into their favor. And you know when you when you're in an unregulated uh, area, that seems to happen, right? And even when you get regulated, it's not always works out in our favor because, you know, we, we see that with uh, with gold and silver manipulations. Crazy. So I guess it's a sort of final finalize it. What, what else is sort of on your radar right now? and What other other things that uh, that maybe our audience should know?
2: Uh, well, I would just, I would just uh, recommend to the audience to just really, like I said, focus on the bigger picture and not just the price. Um, this is a long-term gain. An example would be, like I said, I, I came from the internet age, right? So, uh, you know, Amazon launched in 97 for a dollar. It went up to 80 bucks by 2000. right? And it fell all the way down to $5 by like 2001 or 2002. That's a big drop mm-hmm. from eight and like, oh, it went from a dollar to 80 and now it's down to five. Why didn't I sell? You know, I'm so stupid, right? Well, today it's at 2000 or whatever. It got close to 2000, right? So, yeah, we should have bought more then. So my point is, is that, you know, with, with, with Amazon, the reason why I like to bring that up is that when, when Amazon launched in 97 or in 2000, they weren't, nobody was using the product. We didn't have broadband internet. And if anybody remembers dial-up, it was, really didn't work, right? We didn't have broadband internet until 2003. Yeah, I, I, I was shopping. Like Amazon didn't really start I was taking on notes until 2005. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, but you I've were been shopping. online for a long time. <laughs> so, well, to, to give you an interesting fact, so the internet basically went live, the first server website in 2000. 2004, I think the first purchase recorded was Pizza Hut. Interesting. The first purchase was pizza for internet and for Bitcoin. Um, but, but, but 10 years later, by the year 2000, only 15% of people said they had bought anything online. So 10 years later, only 15% had actually purchased something online. My point is, is that, you know, Amazon price went up and down without really getting real adoption. But once the real adoption started coming, then, you know, up to $2,000. So stay focused on the adoption and the innovation. And as long as that's continuing to make progress, you know, don't look so hard on the price to stay in it for the long term. All those people that sold at the bottom of Amazon, or when it got to five bucks or 50 bucks or hundred bucks, cause they made a little bit of money or bummed right. because they didn't stay in it long enough. So stay in it long enough, watch the innovation, watch the adoption. And when that hits the top, then you could think about selling. Otherwise, you got to stay in it.
0: Well, you know, when we look at uh, technology and the adoption, we've got a generation of young people who they've, you know, connected to at the hip with their phones Um, and will, you know, never knew a time where there wasn't Facebook and social media. Uh, Do you think that the millennials and then the generation after them uh, are, they're going to see crypto as so ubiquitous that they can't imagine a world without it?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, I, th- I think it's already happened in other countries. So a lot of times we have this bias because we grew up in the United States and we think of the world as one way. But this is a global movement. So what I mean by that is there's lots of countries. and As a matter of fact, there's 2 billion adults, 2 billion adults in the world that have no access to banking, but they have a smartphone. So those people are already living this every day. So it's global. It's much bigger than just us in the US. So uh, yeah, 100%, I think we'll see young people uh, growing up and this is just gonna be the way it is and they'll never know the system as it was. And I, and I And every time I go to the bank, I just can't think about how dead they are, how dead walking, right? I have to go to the bank to wire somebody 20 grand and I have to drive there 20 minutes and sit there at the bank for 30 minutes and I have to sign actual paper and I have to get it approved. And it's like, I could just transfer it on my phone right now. Like, what am I even doing? And it kind of reminds me of, like, I have Amazon. My wife has Amazon coming to the house, like, every day. And, like, it seems so old school to have to drive and go pick stuff up anymore, you know? So, uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to see the shift.
1: Definitely seems old school. One other final question here I want to ask then is, you know, we, we've had all this conversation around Amazon. How long until those Yahoo's over there start taking crypto, you think?
2: Well, Come on, Bezos, get with it. I don't. I don't think. I don't think anybody should be using crypto for purchases until they get this stupid f- tax thing figured out, right? So if if I want to go buy a stick of gum, I got to go. Well, shoot. When did I buy that Bitcoin? What was my basis for the price on the Bitcoin? And then today, what's the value? And I bought a piece of gum. So how much tax do I owe? And then I have to file a report and I have to send that into the IRS and I got to pay tax on like for a stick of gum. Like I'm, I'm not going to do that. So I think that's probably the biggest thing holding back adoption. And so, until that gets fixed, I, I don't, I don't know. Well, now the I IRS gonna is going to be
0: it. all over you for that gum purchase you made, you know, because you just it, it right. admitted you're not going to report that. And Mark, that that stick of gum purchase right there is going to get hot, no, wait,
2: hot wait, water. Wait, 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 for the for the, rec- for the record, I said I'm not. <laughs>
0: Yes, we're we're clear. Getting real yeah, sticky. That was, that was a joke. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, Mark, we appreciate you coming in and spending time with us. You've got, uh, we've got links in the show notes for people to check out your YouTube channels, your Twitter accounts or anything else you'd like people to know before we sign off.
2: Uh, no, that's it. I think uh, you covered it. Yeah. If you want to just kind of get more fundamental news based stuff, follow me on Twitter. I try to, I try to kind of put stuff out there every day. And uh, and other than that, stay stay focused on the long-term trend.
0: Mm, I thought you were going to say stay bad because that's what we
1: do
2: here. (laughs)
1: That's what you should have said if you're a real fan of the show. That's what you would have said.
2: Well, I want crypto to be good for everybody. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, stay bad.
0: And there you have it, class. Now you are a history of money expert. You know all the things. And you know of Mark
1: Moss and his I Love Crypto channel, as well as his uh, the other stuff that he's doing. And uh, smart guy. Really enjoyed having him on the show.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. Make sure you guys go follow him on Twitter. Of course, everything's in the show notes. All the links that we discussified today and links to his videos, Badco.in forward slash 196. Of course, by now you've figured out you can short link to all of our bad crypto episode numbers by just typing badco.in forward slash and the episode number and mr travis Wright. you'll also be happy to know that for some people who went to type in a show number um like badco.in forward slash one and they got a not found that was because we switched to a shortener system and it should have been zero zero one so all the episodes up to 99 are actually three digits with a zero before them and that is now fixed
1: very nice good deal are 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 both of them available like badco Uh, forward slash one. Is that, does that work? And then zero zero one or
0: what? I I don't know. Go try it. it. Uh, I don't, I know about the history of money, but I don't have all the short link answers. Hmm. Let's check it out right now. I know a lot of things. Hey, thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe, follow, evangelize a friend's phone for the Bad Crypto Podcast. They might not know what you're doing, but when you subscribe to the show and they find it there and they listen, their day is just going to be better. And they're going to learn about cryptocurrency and blockchain and Bitcoin, and they're going to have a few laughs along the way. And best of all, they're going to have learned how to stay bad.
2: Who's bad?